Well, please turn in your Bible over to 1 Timothy chapter 6. God's blueprint for the church is what we've been looking at. We've covered a lot of ground. We've been in 1 Timothy for a while now, and a lot has been seen, a lot has been learned, all of it important. The Word of God is such a great, great treasure that we have. In this last section today, I've entitled Something Worth Fighting For. You know, everyone has priorities in life. Everyone has priorities in life. Everyone places different values on different things. As an example, some people, they place, you know, all their value on their family. Now, family is very important. We know that. Other people, believe it or not, place much of their value and importance in life on sports. I can't imagine that. And I am a former athlete, both feet. But I, I, can't, I can't imagine that when I look at how hard godly biblical churches work to reach people for Christ and to even get them out to church and come faithfully and then you turn on a Minnesota Vikings game, you're watching it from the stadium in the, in the Twin Cities, and you see that there's, I don't know, how many, what is it, 60,000 people or whatever? What do they hold down there? 66? 66,000 people, and it doesn't look like there's one empty seat. And I look at that, and I think, okay... That kind of tells you where we're at as a world. No wonder we have the problems we do, right? Now, the time with most of those games, folks, if you're going to get down there and and attend that, uh, most of those games, you're going to have to miss church to do it. And it's just kind of interesting, isn't it? Where are priorities now? Now, that's something that a person can choose. Okay, I can't put a gun to someone's head and say, okay, this is what you have to decide. I can't think for you. I can't decide for you. But nevertheless, the value system, when all is said and done, the only value system that will matter is God's, God's value system. Some people, it's their job. That's where their priority is in life, their hobbies, their money, you name it. People have different priorities and they live their lives for those priorities. You might say, well, I'm not sure what I'm living my life for. Okay, I can tell you what you're living your life for. What occupies your mind the most? What gets you the most excited in life? What thrills you the most? What do you dwell on the most? What do you spend your time on the most? Well, that is what your life is about. That is what your life is about. God has a value system, and it is made known to us through the pages of the Bible. It's just really that simple. There are some things that are of infinite value, According to God, and there's other things that are not of either infinite value or much value at all. Here's what it comes down to, folks God wants us to invest our lives in something that will outlast it, something of eternal value. If you're not investing your life in that which is eternal, you're wasting your life. Because the life you live when you die, you're leaving it all here. Why not invest it in something that's going to go on ahead, that is going to last forever? Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul continues talking to the young pastor, and he says, but thou, O man of God, some people say, where'd you get the name for your bi-monthly Bible study, men of God? Well, here's one of the passages right here. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness, fight the good fight of faith. 
Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and has professed a good profession before many witnesses. You notice in verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. Now, that doesn't mean that we are supposed to be mean-spirited people who are always looking for a fight with people, okay? A contentious attitude to where we are, okay, you know, you hear some people, they, they think it's a, it's a good thing to say. I'm a, I'm a separated, fundamental, Bible-toting, banging, preaching Christian. Well, that sounds like that person just wants a fight. No, listen, we can be what we ought to be, but do it in a way that keeps people open to hearing the gospel. Having the right attitude with that. Yes, we are to fight the good fight of faith. I'll say more about it in a minute. Verse 13, it says, I give thee charge in the sight of God. I give thee charge. Paul is saying to Timothy this, listen, I'm charging you with something. I'm giving you a charge. I'm giving you a mandate. Here's what you need to do. Now, of course, what's good for the preacher is good for everybody because it's in the word of God and it's good for all of us, right? I give thee charge in the sight of God who quickeneth or makes alive all things. And before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable unto the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I've got several things I want to touch on today. And the first one is this. The Lord Jesus Christ is our example of faithfulness under difficult circumstances. We see that in verse 13. What what could be more difficult than what Jesus went through? And yet he was faithful, and yet he was steadfast. And he stood, and he wasn't going to budge from not only who he was, but what he believed and his mission. Verse 14, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. No one suffered like Jesus did, yet he remained true to his purpose and his mission. I can't help but think of Hebrews chapter 12 in verse 2, and I bet a lot of you even thought of that verse, where it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, that's an interesting verse, because when you think about it, okay, looking unto Jesus for the joy, look what it says, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. You might say, How in the world could it be joy for Jesus to endure the cross? Listen, it was because of what was going to take place because of it. It was because of the results of him going to the cross that he could look at it with joy. Oh yes, the greatest suffering of all human history was going to take place when Jesus went to the cross. He would become sin for us who knew no sin, but... His heart's desire for us is that we would be made the righteousness of God in him. And so he endured it for you and for me. It's amazing. That's amazing. So first, the Lord Jesus Christ is our example of faithfulness under very difficult circumstances. But secondly, we are to be faithful also in that we are to keep the commandment of fighting the good fight of faith. That's what the commandment is here. Fighting the good fight of faith. Now, how do we do that? Well, that's spelled out in the next few verses. But you notice there's an attitude that goes with it, which is our third point. We are to keep this commandment without spot 
and unrebukable. It is a lifelong, wholehearted commitment to Christ, regardless of what others do. And God wants us to do it, not only fulfill it and be faithful to him, but be faithful to him at the same time being committed to grace and truth. I love that when it talks about, you know, we talked today about being, well, God wants us to be Christ-like. Amen. I believe that. In John chapter one, it said Jesus was full of grace and truth. You know what our problem is? We lack balance. That's our problem. Man, some of us are just, we carry the banner of truth. And listen, if you're not going to accept it or you're contrary to it, I'll take that flagpole of that banner and I'll just ram right through your gut, okay? There you go. Because I'm a soldier of the cross. Well, where's the grace in that? Where's the undeserved kindness in that? Folks, listen, we can be just as bold with the truth and do it in a nice way. I say, I have no clue on how to do that. Well, that, that'll come in time. When we walk in fellowship with God, let us be full of grace and truth. I'm looking forward to sharing the gospel with hopefully hundreds of people who will be here tonight. I will do it by God's grace with grace and truth but I won't compromise and I'm not going to water it down to make it palatable. I'll be kind, but I'll tell the truth. Why? That is what God's will is for us. That is our mandate. And we are to keep a good testimony. That's why it says, keep the commandment without spot and unrebukable. So what does all this mean? Fighting the good fight of faith. Well, it means to stand up for God's word and what it teaches. It means to contend for the faith, especially the gospel of grace. Now, again, doing it in the right way, but doing it. We have gotten so concerned with doing it the right way that we're no longer doing it. We water it down. We're apologetic almost. We're almost, uh, well, you know, I don't, you know, we'll get to where we start starting every phrase with a lost person. Like, well, I don't mean to offend you by this, but wait a minute. Just put a smile on your face and tell them the truth. Let the Holy Spirit use it. Don't come across like you're almost ashamed to share the gospel. That's not the way. It is to stand up. When you think of fighting the good fight of faith, don't you think of somebody who is willing to face opposition and resistance and willing to contend for the faith, to stand strong on it? Now, let me say this, folks. This will not be popular, even among believers. Because truth be told, there's a lot of Christians today who are ashamed of taking a stand. They're afraid. They're so afraid. The thing that controls them is not the Holy Spirit of God. The thing that controls them is fear of being rejected. And that's very common. And I think we all go through it at one time or another. God says, don't do it. Don't do it. So taking a stand the way we should, straightforward, okay, telling the truth. This will not be popular even among believers. Most Christians don't see the importance of this issue. We would rather just get along with everyone. Minnesota nice. Can I tell you this? You can be Minnesota nice and still contend for the faith. We need to get back to what the Bible says and not follow the crowd when the crowd is wavering from Scripture. 
And there's so much of that going on today, okay? And, and folks, we've gotten to the point, listen, it's happening all around us. There's a great apostasy going on today to where people are wavering or they're, they're coming, well, you know, I'm not sure if the Bible really says that, you know? The idea of God creating male and female and that that's the way God, you know, maybe there's some sort of a, a factor that we haven't considered in that. Maybe it really isn't cut and dry that way, clear cut. You know, the origins and all that. Well, you know, uh, what's wrong with theistic evolution? I mean, at least we give credit to God on the front end of it and all these kind of things. Listen, friend, if you're going to please God, you need to stand on the Bible as it is. We do not have the freedom to apologize for God. He doesn't want us apologizing. He wants us to lovingly, boldly proclaim the truth. And as we do that, whatever happens will happen. But it is a day in which we live to where we need to stand and we need to fight the good fight of faith. Even the words themselves. Hold your place here and look with me to Jude chapter 1. If you have more than one chapter of Jude, you must be using a new translation of some kind. Jude 1, he says this, Beloved, He's writing to Christians, verse 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that you should earnestly, earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Once, and the idea is for once and for all delivered unto the saints. You notice what we are supposed to be doing? We are supposed to be earnestly contending for the faith. Now again, understand this. Don't think, okay, well, that means that we just go around and we're just mean, nasty people who just beat people over the head. No, 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 that's not what the Bible says. We are to be speaking the truth in love, but standing on it, and when we do, we are earnestly contending for the faith, saying, this is what God says. This is where I stand. See, folks, especially the area of the gospel, now, I know there are people who, uh, even in our, in our town, they don't understand us, and we make an issue oftentimes. Even, I'm sure there are people on the radio listen to us and on the internet, and they'll hear certain things, and they'll say, these people are always talking about the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, and talking about, they get nitpicky, they split hairs as far as what the gospel is and all these kind of things. Can I tell you this? Please listen carefully. Our concern is that people truly understand how to be saved. And we want everybody to end up in heaven. And so words communicate concepts. And so we want to be accurate with our words so that people will understand what God says so that they can believe it and be saved. That is what it's all about. And when we contend for the faith or when we stand on the gospel or we come out against things like lordship salvation and discipleship salvation and all these false terminologies that people say, well, that's the same as believing when the the concepts are totally different. For us to make an issue of that isn't us just making an issue of it. It's saying, no, that's not accurate. You're leading people astray by telling them something the Bible doesn't say. We all should be doing that. Yes, it will cause some divisions because there are people who don't want to hear it, who are bent on their own tradition or way or whatever, but let's just stick with 
the scriptures. See, the gospel of Christ is the only door that leads to heaven. And if you don't enter through the truth of the gospel, you don't enter. If we do not declare it, if we do not protect it, it will not be known. If it isn't known, people cannot be saved. Okay? Well, they'll just get it. Where? You usually don't hear the gospel, right, on Christian radio. There's all kinds of appendages that they, that they tag on. Listen, if you make it anything but faith alone and Christ alone, it's not the gospel. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. It says in verse 16, here's Paul, same one who's writing to Timothy, telling him, you need to fight the good fight of faith. He says here in Romans 1.16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of Christ, for it, it's only one, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Look at it. To everyone that does what? Believe it. Does it say anything else? No. No. The only condition to be saved is faith in Jesus Christ. Trust in Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in the gospel, therein, in the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So when you understand the gospel, okay, and I'll say more about it at the end of the message today, but when you understand the good news, simply put it as this, God in the flesh entered the human race. His name was Jesus. Jesus went to the cross, and when he died on the cross, he paid the sin debt that we owe because the wages of sin is death. If we die with our sin, we'll be lost forever. Jesus came because he doesn't want us to be lost forever. He wants us to live with him forever in heaven. So why he came to earth, it's the whole reason he came to earth. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Who's lost? Everybody. So then who can be saved? Everybody. The whole reason he came was to die on the cross, pay for our sin as a substitute so we don't have to. And he did, and he came back from the dead. And he says, if you will believe in me that I did that for you, I will give you as a gift everlasting life. I'll never lose you. I'll never cast you out. Everlasting means everlasting. How are you saved? Simply by believing in him that he did that for you. Do you believe that he died and paid for all of your sins? If you do, his payment is good on your behalf. You have no more sin to pay for. Therefore, there's nothing to send you to hell and there's nothing to keep you out of heaven. Isn't that great news? That's why the word gospel means good news. If I have to be, as this is so often said today, if I have to be a Christ follower to go to heaven, that's saying I have to follow him, which means what? I have to live my life like he would, follow his principles. That's works. That's earning your way to heaven. That's not the gospel. The gospel is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Now let's go back to our text. You see, Paul could say, as you're turning back to 1 Timothy 6, Paul could say, as he did in his last words recorded in Scripture in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought a good fight. That's the good fight of faith. He did it. What he encouraged Timothy to do, he did himself. 
He said, I have fought a good fight of faith. I finished my course. I have kept the faith. There it is. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. So let's move on. We are to keep this commandment, this commandment of fighting the good fight of faith without spot and unrebukable. But fourth, how long are we to keep it? Paul said to Timothy that he was to keep it until the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now that's interesting. Will you look at that statement? Look at that statement, verse 14. Obviously, Paul knew Timothy would not live for thousands of years. What does this point to? This points to the fact, as we have seen many, many times, that they were looking for Christ to come back in their lifetime. That's what they were looking. Paul said, keep it until you see the Lord. If Paul said, now, you know, it's going to be thousands of years before he comes back to just do your best. No, until you see the Lord. They were anticipating the coming of Jesus. They believed in an imminent return of Jesus Christ. They believed, folks, if it's imminent, it has to be pre-trib. They believe in a pre-trib rapture. This points to the imminent return. That means that there is nothing prophetically that needs to happen before Jesus can come back. We should be looking for the Lord to come back in any moment. And you know what? The truth of it is, if that is a foremost truth in our minds, that is going to help keep us on track until we do see him. Because we know he could come back at any moment. Now back to 1 Timothy 6, verse 15. Paul says, which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate. In other words, when the Lord comes back, which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone hath immortality, dwelling in light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen, nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Now, why is all that there? Well, I'll tell you what I think it is, because it leads us to our next point. Why would Paul be reminding Timothy about this right after he says you need to fight the good fight of faith? Because of this, folks, we need to remember that while there will be battles in this life, we are on the winning side. All right? The battle will be worth it. It's not you're going to fight the good fight of faith. It isn't you're going to contend for the faith, struggle for it, wrestle for it, be faithful. It isn't that you're going to go through some of the hardship that comes with true discipleship to Jesus Christ. It isn't that you're going to do that and maybe in the end we'll be on the losing side. No, we've won. We've already won because Jesus came back from the dead. We have a resurrected Savior That's why Paul said, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Where is that found? At the end of the great resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're on the winning side. Let's stand, folks. Let's take our mission seriously that we have as a church. It is the great commission is our mission. And let's do all we can with the time remaining. How much is remaining? We don't know that. That's what brings such urgency to it. You know, if the Lord said, well, you know what? I'm not coming back for 20 more years. There's not a person in this room that wouldn't go, okay, I can relax for a little while. Now, we may not think that, or we may not say that, 
But for Jesus to say, I'm coming back at any moment. You don't have much time left. You don't know when the end of your life is going to be. You don't know when that person you've been meaning to witness to, you don't know when they're going to die. Do you see where urgency comes into this? We are on the winning side. One hymn writer said, The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. And if you've trusted Christ, you're part of the kingdom. And that's where we're going to live. And folks, we have every reason to say, you know what? It doesn't matter how dark or how difficult it becomes. What matters is I'm on the winning side. And if I were to die living for Christ, it's a great way to go out. By the way, there's special reward for those who do. It's called the crown of life. It's a reward. No man has seen Christ in all his glory. He is the only one with immortality. That is why it says what it does in 1 John 5, 12. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Verse 17, 1 Timothy 6, 17. Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches. (laughs) Boy, isn't that the truth. But in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good and that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to share. Communicate means share. Laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Why does the Lord, have you ever thought about this? Why does the Lord give wealth to people? Simple, simple, simple answer. So that they can use it for Christ to help others. Be sensitive to his leadings, folks. When God urges you to give to a certain cause, okay? We were at a a missions conference down at Calvary Community Church in Tampa this year, and um, I won't go into detail, but a certain missionary of their church had a particular need. And we've been praying about some different things, and, and they had this particular need. And, you know, God doesn't speak to me in verbal words. I don't hear him. You know, what is he? What is he? Is he tenor or bass or no? (laughs) But the thoughts, right? If you're sensitive to God, thoughts will come your way. Now, granted, you have to weigh those all by the word of God. But it was like the Lord said, it was like he said to me, right there, right there. I want you to give to those people. All right. And so we gave him a one-time gift, one-time gift. Faithful with the gospel. I'm not going to support anybody who's not, right? But that's a very important thing. God gives us money so that we can use it for the glory of God. God does not give wealth to people so that they can live a life of luxury. Did you know that? Now, how much of the world knows that? Well, maybe a hundredth of one percent knows that. Because all the world thinks about is, okay, I want to get, if I get wealth, I've got wealth. And boy, I can live a life of luxury. That's not why God gives wealth. He gives wealth to be used to glorify him and to help other people. You know, what was it last week or the week before? um, Aaron Judge of the New York Yankees. He seems like a nice guy. He just had his contract renewed. A lot of you may have heard this. Nine-year contract, $360 million. That's 40 
million dollars a year to play baseball. Baseball's my favorite sport. That is insane. It is insane. $40 million? What are you going to do with it? Imagine if they would use the majority of their money to support the outreach of the gospel, build churches, and support ministries. Right? Imagine. But you know it's not going to happen because that's not the world we live in. We live in a world that's fallen and lost, and the minds are twisted. And the priorities. Remember at the beginning of the message, priorities? The priorities are skewed. See, folks, this idea of why God gives wealth to people so that they can use it for Christ to help others, this is keeping things in perspective. This is the right value system. If you have a lot, be sure to not put your faith in it, but put your faith in the Lord. Be sensitive to him leading you to support and to help others. As we live for him and his will, we will lay up reward in heaven. To lay hold on eternal life is to work out the salvation which we have now in our experience as believers. I'm laying hold of it in a sense of I'm grasping that. That's where my focus is. It's not trying to earn your way to heaven. That's contrary to scripture. No, it's laying hold of it. It's experiencing that eternal life now in this life, living the life that is in accordance with our eternal life. And you notice for those who use their wealth wisely, verse 19, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Verse 20, O Timothy, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called, which some professing have erred or strayed concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. You notice he says, keep that which is committed to thy trust. What is it? It's the faith. Look at some of these words here in these verses. Avoiding profane and vain babblings. Profane means wicked. Vain means empty. Avoid foolish talk. Avoid talking about stuff and wasting your time on things that don't matter. And you notice he says, in oppositions of science, falsely so-called. Oppositions, the antithesis. Science is knowledge. Uh, Interesting, the term falsely so-called, it's the Greek word pseudo. Pseudoscience. That has nothing to do with COVID, okay, or any of that. Pseudoscience. But this is in the philosophical or theological or religious perspective is what he's getting at. Timothy, keep yourself away from false ideas, false concepts, false teachings. Stay with the truth. Stay with what is true knowledge that we find in the scripture. Don't get sidetracked in all this weird stuff. New teachings. You know, folks, isn't it amazing? Now, we have, we have believed the same as a ministry since the day our church started. We've not changed. But boy, have we see, seen things change. Movements come and go. And, and, you know, Christians, we're not satisfied with the disciplines and the, the daily faithfulness, routine faithfulness of the Christian life. But so many Christians, they get off on this. Oh, there's this new movement. Let's jump in. Let's be part of this. Let's get part of this thing. Oh, this new thing that churches are doing and all this. And a lot of it is just to... Uh, The intent may be good, but so much of it, all it does is confuse people. 
And you've got this group working with this group and they're not right. They don't believe right. And yet they're pushing down the scriptures to advance their agenda. What do we need to do? Stay right where we've been. And it's amazing to me too that what I'm seeing, now I don't know how long this will last. I hope it lasts a long time. What I'm seeing is this. There's a lot of people who says, enough, enough. There's a lot of people who are saying, you know what? Church is not about strobe lights, light shows, fog machines, music that you can't even take unless you have earplugs in your ears. That's not what church is about. Church is about Jesus Christ and the word of God and worshiping him and encouraging one another. And folks, it's all the stuff that's been in the Bible all this time. But you know what? People are dissatisfied with God. And so they try to invent all these things. We got to be clever. And they say, well, we're going to build a church to where it's going to be appealing to lost people. Now, you know what? You may have some success from that sometimes, but oftentimes what you do, the man who led me to Christ, he said it well. Let the world into the church, the church gets worldly. I'm not talking about inviting people out who are not saved. No, we need to be here and present the gospel to them and share Christ with them and love them as God does. See what we can do to be a blessing to them. That's all part of our mission. But folks, to say, okay, we need to make our church more appealing. And so what we will do is we will minimize the teaching and preaching of the word of God. And we will instead have all kinds of videos and this and that, or even take the stuff of the world and use it in church because, well, we use the stuff of the world, even though it's kind of edgy, we use that because people can relate to it. Let me tell you something. If that's what you do, you're not fit to be in the pulpit. Keep that which is committed to your trust. By the way, the word keep means guard. Guard it. Don't let the mice come in and start eating away at the foundation. Our last point is this. What was committed to Timothy's trust? The faith. The faith is anything the word of God says clearly. And of course, the best way to keep the faith is to proclaim it to the world. That's why Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Why don't you go there with me if you're not there? Turn with me. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Look at it in the word of God, folks. 2 Timothy 4.1, I charge thee, there it is again, he's charging Timothy. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. What is a pastor supposed to be doing? Preaching the word. You don't need to be clever. You just need to be faithful. Be instant, be ready, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables, fiction, make-believe stories. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions. There it is again. Do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. It means to fulfill to completion. Complete your ministry. These are important days in which we live. You know what? People are searching today. 
I'm finding in many ways people are more open today than they've ever been before. It is amazing because they know something's going on and they're unsettled by it. Folks, this ministry is to be a place where those people are hopefully going to find the truth of God. We will present it to them with grace and truth. We're going to proclaim it. And as we go out, we need to be the exact same way, reaching people, seeing them as a soul for whom Christ died. Let's close over in Ephesians chapter 2. God's blueprint for the church. It's what we've been looking at. Maybe you're here today and you don't know where you're going when you die. I want you to know how you can be saved. And hopefully you'll put your faith in Jesus Christ because that's what brings it. Now, I made mention of this earlier, but let me explain it to you as clearly as I know how. If we were to let my left hand represent you and me, and we were to let my wallet represent our sin, here we are. God says we're all sinners. That's nothing new. The world is a mess because we're sinners. Pure, plain, and simple. Yet God loves us. He hates our sin, but he loves us. That sin keeps us separated from God. You can't go to heaven with your sin. The Bible says if we die with our sin, we will be lost forever, separated from God, and we will spend eternity in hell. God does not want that for anyone. Yet heaven's a perfect place. To get in, I have to be sinless, and yet we're not. So what are we going to do? Religion comes along and says, behave yourself, follow the word of God, live a life according to scripture, but those are all good works. Good works are good, but they won't take away sin. The only payment is death. Look what it says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It says, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not of works, not of works, lest any man should boast. There's nothing I can do to work my sin off. And yet if I die with it, I'll be separated from God forever. What am I going to do? God says, I'll tell you, I love you so much. I don't want you to go to hell. I will enter the human race and I will pay for it for you. And that's exactly what he did. God, the son, the Lord Jesus Christ entered in this hand representing him. You notice he's sinless. And when Jesus went to the cross, he took all of our sin upon himself and he made the complete payment for all of our sin, leaving us not anything to pay for, not one. Paid for our whole lifetime of sin. He was buried, he rose from the grave. He says this, if you will believe that he made that payment for you, for your sin, the moment you do, he gives you everlasting life. See, Jesus has paid for sin, but the payment's not good on your account until you put your faith in him. He that believeth on him hath everlasting life. But you have to believe. If you don't believe, the Bible says you're condemned already because you have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. He that believeth on him, though, is not condemned. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, would you do that today? Would you do it today? There's no strings. There's no small Words to take it away, the small print, so to speak. Salvation's a gift. Trust Christ, would you? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.